All right, hello and welcome to the Longball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, joined by my brother Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, things are good, man. Um, can I just dive in and talk about the Longball Football Curse? Oh, go on, here we go. Good way to start. I just think it's funny. Start on like, a positive. We, we, we do our first Monday Night Football, and of course it's the first 0-0 of the season. It's it's just I was so disappointed because we had <laughs> such a good such a good track record. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, um Monday night football is our hopefully monthly live watch along event where we host a watch along on Zoom of a Monday night Premier League football match. Um and we did it I think four or five times last season. And we always had fantastic games, big score lines, great goals, dramatic moments. Um, we always used to even joke about the fact that everyone thinks the Monday night game, it's almost why we started it, everyone thinks the Monday night is going to be the worst game of the week. Somehow it always ends up being the best game of the week. Well, yesterday we did our first one in the season and it really was the worst game of the week and the worst game in the season so far, nil-nil. Um, but it was, a, it was still a great event. I mean, it was lovely to have people uh, on the Zoom. Great to chat to people who listen to the show. You know, we've got a few few regulars who come on to that, so it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I'm, I've always loved doing them. They are great fun, and I'm sorry I couldn't be there last night. I had, um, or I should say, I had a, I've got a kid, and there was I had a lot of washing to do last night. But um, <laughs> but then that could have been better than the <laughs> the game. Who knows? Um, but yeah, no, I think we'll definitely try and do a few more of those in the future because it's a we usually end up getting some an absolute world class goal or a bit of drama or something like that. Something always pops yeah. up on a Monday night usually. So. You know, we've had, we've had a lot of luck with the games. Hopefully, that was just you know we were due a stinker, and we've had it now, so we've got that out of the way. Um, but if you're if you're interested in 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 that, definitely keep an eye out on on Twitter because that's where we where we announced it. And you know, if you're kind of unsure, maybe you think I've never done that kind of thing before. I've never been on a Zoom call. Um, you know, a lot of people I think were like that at the start, and and yet we we have like a regular group of five six people who come down and new people every week. And it's a really nice, relaxed environment where everyone can chat to each other. We basically just have the game on screen and chat about anything to do with Portuguese football, whatever the news is. There was a lot of chat about uh, Otavio last night, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's really good fun. It's really relaxed and there's there's no pressure to to get involved any more than you want to. So, yeah, keep an eye out for the next one. Hopefully we'll be sort of mid to late September. I was looking at the schedule. It doesn't look like there's a Monday night game until mid to late September. But, um, yeah, we'll definitely be doing another one soon. And of course, if you're signed up to our Patreon uh, to become a Longball Football Story Show, you'll get uh, you'll be the first to hear about any of those events and and through uh, the, the Patreon. So uh, make sure you sign know, up. I don't, I don't know what's happened to you, Barney. Ever since we started the Patreon, you've become such a company <laughs> man. Any mention of the <laughs> any any chance, any opportunity? <laughs> no, it's a great um, it's a great point, and we should mention as we always do at the beginning of the show. If you like what we do, if you like listening to the show, there is a way that you can uh, get involved and support us. And that is by becoming a Longball Football Socio. Uh, and that's £1 a month on our Patreon. The link's in the description of this podcast. We do all sorts of uh, events on there. It's a great way just to chat to us. You can DM us on, DM us on there, have a conversation with us. And we do uh, weekly events, the most popular being the Patreon Predictions League, where everyone predicts what they think the scores will be this weekend. And we run a league table based on how successful everyone is. It's really interesting. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Albert, how can I get involved in that? We've already had two weekends of the season. I'll be loads of points behind. Listen, don't worry about that because there's other ways to win prizes. We're going to have at the end of the season all sorts of awards for uh, you know the most points in a week, uh, the best kind of most 
correct goal scorers, all that kind of stuff. So there's uh, plenty to get involved with. Um, and it's a great way to help support a DIY podcast. So definitely check that out um, if you're if you're interested. Uh, we're going to get on to the games of this week in a second, but we've got to start before that, Barney, with a chat about European football because, unfortunately, uh, Aruka became the second team to drop out of the Europa Conference League after uh, Vittoria uh, were knocked out by Celia. Of Slovenia, I believe. Um, Aruka were knocked out by Bran of Norway. That was despite taking a 2 1 lead into the second leg against Bran. Um, they were 3 0 down at half time. There's no way to, to beat about the bush. It was the worst start possible. Um, they rallied in the second half, scored a goal, but you know, it was nowhere near enough by that point, unfortunately. Um, and they crashed out, which was a, a real shame. I mean, <laughs> when you're 3-0 down at half-time, you can't have too many complaints about losing the game. And they did improve in the second half. But it's uh, I think it's disappointing because they, they won the first leg. They looked strong. I don't think Bram were, were any better than them, really. But it seems to be we're just cursed in this competition and these these teams really struggle. Well, look, I think, first of all, the, I think that well, it's probably an obvious thing to say, but for the qualifications for these European competitions... They're not nice. They're they're horrible. They they they've come sort of like at the worst time of year. You, you're just getting yourselves ready, you're setting the team. You're trying to, you know, piece things together. I think it's even harder for the, these teams in the, the the conference league, the new competition, because they'll have there'll be teams and players who aren't used to this to tra- to traveling so much for games. It will you know it just ruins momentum. Uh, sort of any sort of training routines they might be used for. I think all these little factors come into play. I mean, you've also got to look at luck as well i think uh, certainly a, a home i think a home second leg would have benefited aruka um i think that the fact they had to go away really didn't help themselves and it might feel like i'm making excuses uh, but i'm not really because it, it's obviously everyone's in the same boat brown would have been be the same you know this is a team not used to sort of european fixtures etc cetera, etc cetera. but yeah we, we can't help but feel bitterly disappointed and um there was an opportunity to really progress there with Brand. I think hearing some of their story, you know, that they're a newly promoted team into the top tier. Um, had a good cup run, um, but, you know, they're not really established top tier Norwegian team. So, yeah, it's it's a real shame for Aruka, completely capitulated in the first half. Um, and, of course, there's a, a huge uproar from a lot of Portuguese football fans. Uh, it's, it's some very much sympathizing with Aruka and, and sort of calling for better conditions and uh, and for these teams to be better prepared for Europe uh, you know the league needs to take responsibility and then there's also some people who are just blaming them for for you know the, the lack of coefficient points that we Portugal are now going to receive so um if it always feels like it's this time of year now, doesn't it, Albert? It's been like that for the last few years. I think every time we try and have big discussions personally about what can we, what can be done, there's so much. It's probably you know we we, we certainly don't have all the answers, or it, you know. It, but it's uh yeah, it's just it's just it's just gutting, isn't it? We had so much such high hopes for Ruka, and and yeah, it was a, there was an opportunity in this tie to progress to the next round. Yeah, I mean the the, the problem is for me that. They played four halves of football against Bran. In three of those four halves, they were the better team. 
and yet they've still they've still lost the game. And it really was that 3-0 in the first half that absolutely killed them. Even if they go into the second half 2-0 down, they get that one goal back. That's enough to take it to extra time, but it was the 3-0 that made it. So they went into the game 2-1 up on aggregate. They were 3-0 down in the first half of the second leg, which meant they were 4-2 down on aggregate. So they needed two goals uh, to take it to, to extra time. They only got one. And it was just, you know... Uh, um, a step too far for them. I think it's worth saying a few things. You know, definitely people are right to say that Portuguese teams have been knocked out by teams of lesser quality in the Europa Conference League. You know, Victoria were knocked out by a team from Slovenia. That shouldn't happen. There's no way that that team has a bigger budget than Victoria or has better players. And then Aruka get knocked out by Bran, who I think it's slightly misleading. So they are newly promoted, but I think they, they have been a bigger team in Norway in the past. I definitely recognise the name. Um, but they were recently promoted, that is true. And so should it be that the fifth best team in Portugal is knocked out of Europe by a newly promoted team from Norway? When you say it like that, it doesn't sound good. Um, I think it's also worth saying that actually qualifying for the group stages of this competition was always going to be tough because even if Aruga had got past Pran, they would be going up against likely the third or fourth, I'm not sure exactly which it is, but the third or fourth best team from the Netherlands, and I think if you're asking the question, is the fifth best team in Portugal better than the fourth best team in the Netherlands? Well, that's a tough game uh, against a very good team. So it was always going to be tough to get a team into the group stages. I think the manner in which these teams have gone out is very disappointing and does very little to help this ongoing narrative that the sort of fifth and sixth best teams in Portugal are not good enough to to compete in Europe, which sadly seems true. But yeah, I mean, a few things that I didn't like. I think there's a lot of very lazy opinions from from big three fans who sort of seem to have this opinion that these smaller teams, it's their fault that, that they lost and they're letting down the coefficient and all this stuff. I mean, obviously, it's a huge topic that would take hours of discussion, but it's not the fifth best team in Portugal's fault that they're not as good as the fifth best team in other leagues around Europe. It's the fault of uh, a system which only has the interests of three or four clubs in Portugal and, and really is not interested in um, progressing the, the the rest of the teams in the country. Um, interestingly, we're going to come on to a couple of, of games where managers said similar things um, in this league. So, listen, it's the same conversation we've had so many times before. We've had it the last two, two seasons in a row. Um, we're probably not going to have the same conversation next year because we'll only have one team in the qualification round of uh, the Europa Conference League because we've lost... Uh, a European place due to our poor performance in this competition and falling down the coefficient rankings. I even saw one terrible take, which is that the good, the, it's a good thing we only have four teams in Europe now because that's one less team to embarrass us in the in the qualification stage. It's just, you know, some of these opinions are absolutely outrageous. Um, but look, not to get too carried away, because like I said, that conversation is a much longer conversation um, about, you know, why these teams are not able to compete in Europe. The fact is, unfortunately, Aruka crashed out Despite a positive start to the season domestically, um, we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna discuss their game in depth this week, but we discussed them last week. There's a lot of good things happening at that club, um, and Vittorio as well, who, who who've had a decent start to the season. So very disappointing. Um, sadly, we will not have for the third season in a row any team in the group stage of the Europa Conference League. Um, we do have one more team left in European qualification, Obani. That is, of course, Braga, who are in the Champions League qualifiers. And actually, they would have been delighted, I think, to see Marseille lose to Panathinaikos of Greece. So they will face Panathinaikos in their last 
qualifying round. So they need to beat Panathinaikos over two legs to qualify for the Champions League group stage. That would be an incredible achievement. And I, I really don't want to jinx things, but you know, despite how, the fact that Marseille had their weaknesses, I think we have to say Panathinaikos is a preferable preferable draw. You know, if, if Braga would draw Marseille, I would have had my doubts about them qualifying. But I think they've got a good chance against Panathinaikos. Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, they've clearly shown um, how serious they're taking this uh, qualifications uh, for the Champions League uh, group stage, and, and of course they would. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's definitely their focus, and I'm really hoping that yeah they can do that. It's it, it's a it's a tasty draw, isn't it? Albert? It 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 feels durable. It's one of those ones that will suck you in, and then you will, will, once again we'll get bitterly disappointed. But I I I don't mean any disrespect to Panathinaikos, but Braga will certainly be in a, a stronger position in terms of their squad and what they what they can uh, what they've got to to fight with. So yeah, it's it that's going to be a really interesting draw. And and what I know I know I've said it already, but the Braga the home leg the first one, then they've got to go away on a Tuesday night for the second leg. You know that's going to be the that for me that obviously that'd be that that key game, and it'll be really interesting to see how they can cope because I've you know it's been interesting seeing them both in the qualification games and in the league. You know they seem to still be eyeing it out. A few issues, but we'll um, we'll get onto them in a second, won't we? Absolutely. Well, let's not waste any more time and get stuck into the Premier League games from this weekend uh, and start off with Benfica. And it was really important for them to bounce back from their opening day defeat, and they did so with a two nil win at home against newly promoted Estrela de Amadora. Interestingly, there were quite a few lineup changes from Roger Schmidt after that loss against Burmester in this game. Um, and they were made to work very, very hard for the win that they got. But it was two goals from 18 minutes onwards, uh, which gave them their first win of the season at home. A very valuable three points. Yes, and, I mean, it really does kickstart their season. It was a it's quite an interesting game to see. You know, just particularly how defensively strong Australia seemed for for the quite a long time of this game. And you mentioned the changes to the team that Roger Schmidt made. I think those were particularly interesting. I mean, I'll start with the first one in um, Arsene Cabral, the, the new sort of marquee striker uh, who they've signed from Florentina, uh, thrown into his first game. I think you could tell he hadn't had long with the team. You know, he, he's not as he's not as fast or as quick as Gonzalo Ramos. So he ended up just running deep, trying to find space, looking for the ball, which ended up tying him out. And obviously he came off but you know that 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 will this will all come of time. This is not nothing to not criticism on him personally. Um, and then Tengstead came on for for Cabral, and, and an interesting one for me is because you know Tengstead has been in this team a long time. He, uh, you know he arrived uh, was it last summer or yeah last summer had a long time in this team hasn't scored hasn't hasn't had much game time at all. And then what was it with his first touch? He, you know, he's, he's found in, in, in the ideal position, right in the heart of the box, where perhaps you could say Cabral wasn't finding those spaces. You know, it sort of reminded me of a Gonzalo Ramos um, position. You know, he, he just popped up, and then yeah, just got the back of the net. And, and, and I was really happy for him because it's been a long time since he scored a goal. I think it's been quite a few. Um, I think it's with his last club, but it hasn't hasn't um, scored for Benfica in the league. So yeah, that was. Uh, it was, very, it was for me. It was just great to see this new Benfica striking options, you know, and, and assess. You know, obviously Peter Musa wasn't sort of included uh, with his red card um, that he got last game, so we, we've now got a better idea of you know all their striking options. Obviously, I've mentioned Cabral in time, and but for Tengsed to get the goal, great moment for him, and uh, that really sort of changed the momentum of the game, didn't it? Really, that when, when once that goal went in. 
Yeah, and 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 as I alluded to, a, a lot of lineup changes, not just up front. Um, a lot for us to dig into. Um, starting from the back, Vlakadimos dropped in favour of Samuel Suarez, and apparently, um, a big bust up between Vlakadimos and Roger Smith as a result of that, as you might imagine. Since then, um, Vlakadimos has been linked with a, a big move to none other than Manchester United. Um, but Samuel Suarez was given a big opportunity, a big chance for him, because obviously they brought in the new goalkeeper, Trubin. We expect him to come in and play, but there was this opportunity for Samuel Suarez before that uh, to play. And obviously he wasn't troubled too much, but a good opportunity for him. Um, Frederick Algenez, a man who's played in almost every position for Benfica, has ticked off a new position as he was given the start at left-back. Um, really doesn't show much faith from Roger Schmidt that he has in, in new signing Eurosec or even Ristich at left-back days opting to to play Algenez there. Um, Joao Mario came back into the team. He didn't start last game. And, and like you said, Artic Brown was in for Musa. So obviously these changes paid off uh, with the win. But I think it is interesting. You know, it's, it's signs that for me, Roger Schmidt hasn't settled on his best team yet. They've they've brought a lot of new players in. And, and there's it, going to be a period of time where he needs to work out who's going to play and who's going to be his best eleven. Well, I think the thing you you always want from a manager, uh, as a player, is consistency, and you want to, you want to you know you want to know where you stand, and you want you, you want to know what you've got to do to get into the team or, or why you're being dropped. I, I think the Vlakadimos thing might seem to Vlakadimos quite rash, right? Because Samu Suarez has been there the whole of last season as well, um, and it, you know to quote Roger Smith. He, uh, which he spoke about after the game, he said it was clear to me that I wanted new energy in that position. And sorry, that was after the Vista game last week when, as we discussed, you know, I, I said potentially you could put Vlakadimos at the fault for the two of those goals um, that they conceded in that game. And we've seen those sort of mistakes or those not mistakes or those sort of poor choices from Vlakadimos throughout the whole last season. So it seems quite sudden in a way that Samuel Suarez has been brought in, but it paid off absolutely. And, and, and Roger Smith said after the game as well, I, um, that Trubin is on the bench as well. He's a new goal, but he has the pen- potential to play for Benfica as a starter. So I think that sort of shows where he sees um, Trubin coming in at some point, but he's only been there for nine days. But look, I think that's fine in, in my head. I, could, I, I sort of saw that coming. Um, with, with that, with the left back position, Albert and Alsness, I, we know Roger Smith trusts Alzheimer's. We loves he loves Alzheimer's. And I think he's talked about how the it's the quality of the pass, it's the decision making, it's the understanding of how to build up that's why Alzheimer's gets picked in those fullback positions. Where over his Eurosec and Ristic, and obviously Eurosec's now injured as so Ristic was the one who potentially came in at the left back spot, but he, yeah, he, he Schmidt didn't make that call. Now I haven't got too much to go off Ristic because obviously he's paid very little for Benfica, but I remember seeing not too long ago as well a sort of a, a graphic of Ristic's statistics compared to Grimaldo's and they were almost identical right and and, and how important Grimaldo was last season how effective he was and how, how much he created so it is it is a little interesting to be that that decision has been made as well and Ristic's not getting over to you obviously we're not seeing training we're not seeing a, a lot of things Schmidt sees it all but I, I think, like as you touched on there, I think he's. We are starting to see 
the players he can trust and the players that he likes and 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 the players that perhaps aren't and and moving on from this to to perhaps the most important player of, of this game to David Neres right who came on created the first goal did he uh, got the assist for the second as well amazing player uh, i've seen he's he's had 50 games with benfica now not always a starter but he's got 29 goal goal involvements that's a really nice really solid and there's more and more rumours of a move away for him as well now because he's looking for first-team football. He'd be such a big loss. And, and I think his the way Schmidt will manage him going forward as well will be very interesting. Yeah, it, it was two two players that, that caught my eye in terms of how, how they've been sort of treated. And that's David Neres and Florentino Luis. I think almost quite similar in a sense. Because as you say, David Neres' quality is undeniable. Possibly, I mean, you mentioned the word trust with Roger Schmidt. That's possibly where the doubt comes in. Does he really believe that he can trust Neres, whether that's on the pitch or whether that's in training? Like we, and I, I don't know whether it's these are unfounded rumors, but we always hear these these kind of suggestions that David Neres is not the most reliable person. Maybe he has issues with lateness and all this kind of thing. So maybe that's stuff that that Roger Schmidt cares a lot about. But his quality when he comes on is undeniable you know he would be a certain starter for for a lot of top teams around Europe um and similar with with Florentino Luis a player who you know is a a player who we we see as with with incredible quality but who Roger Schmidt just seems to not quite trust you know Joao Neves has started two games ahead of him a, a young kid from the youth academy is being trusted over Florentino Luis these are two players that are considered big assets for Benfica and they're not getting starts at the moment. Uh, both of these players have been rumoured with links away. It, and, and again, similar to what I was saying before, it, it, it does show that, you know, for Roger Schmidt, there are some headaches that he has to get over. It's one thing having a squad full of good players, um, but it's another keeping all those players happy and getting those combinations right on the pitch. Those are very, very different things um, altogether. So two really play- interesting players to keep an eye on. And can I just come in there, Albert? Sorry, on that, which is something we've both talked about now in, in the last few weeks, is Roger Smith getting the, the combination of players right for the game. It, as the game played out, I think it was evident that he didn't. Right, he he, he needed that David Neres to come in and create something. But um, Australia, and to their credit, defended very very well. Played five at the back. Um, Gasper, the Angolan centre back, uh, looks incredibly good. Really, really top quality defender. I also really like um, seeing Mansour as well, a, a player that I, I used to like at Santa Clara where he plays sort of left-back, left-wing-back, but it's sort of coming into that as the left-handed left, left-handed side of the, the third centre-back, if you will. Another good player. Um, and yeah, so, you know, that, that and I think that was always going to be the case in this game. You know, that was the, we knew Australia were going to come and play this way. Very defensive, very compact. So yeah, the, the fact that the likes of David Neres didn't get this the start maybe perhaps for season more as an impact player I don't know but there there was it was sort of begging for the, those sort of players who can can take on a man get past make a bit of inch of space because that's, that's exactly where the first goal was you know he just managed to turn around find that instrument and get it in the box so yeah I think we've both said it I think that is going to be his the thing moving forward with Roger Schmidt is getting the right um, players on the team sheet for the games and having that bit more of an understanding of you know what, what he's going to come up against um, let's move on to Estrella Barney. Obviously, they hung on really well uh, in the game, and the keeper was 
absolutely uh, phenomenal. Brigida pulled off some some incredible saves. Just on top of my head, two in particular from Angel Di Maria really stood out. But he made great saves throughout the game, uh, and they held on for the best part of eighty minutes. Um, it's worth mentioning, Barney Mansur was injured for the last twenty minutes of the game. Um, they'd used all five of the substitutions, so he had to stay on the pitch. So they're basically playing with with ten and a half players. And it was only after that that Benfica were able to score. So they did a really good job of um, of, of keeping Benfica out. Um, didn't create an awful lot of chances uh, themselves. And in fact, something that Sergio Vieira himself said after the game, the moments in which they were weakest were after they pushed forward to get a goal. They were weakest on, on, the, on the counter almost. And I think that's how Benfica got both of their goals. I want to read you some interesting quotes from, from Sergio Vieira Barney. He, he did a really interesting press conference after the game. Um, so he says after the game that we don't want to behave like a small team. Uh, when Portuguese football is prepared to be competitive among all the teams, I think that football is the winner and so are the fans. Consequently, the value of Portuguese teams increases even in European competitions, obviously referencing what happened to Aruca and, and Vitoria. Uh, he went on to say, the circumstances in which we prepare and are undeniable. An aircraft pilot cannot train with model planes or drones. If we want to improve the quality of smaller and medium-sized teams for the spectacle to be better, uh, the very institutions that regulate football in Portugal have to look at that too. If we want to not just be the big three or four to perform in Europe, we have to look at the other teams and try to understand there has to be more preparation. So, you know, interesting comments from from Sergio Vera after the game. Obviously, trying to highlight the the golf in in resources that these two teams have. You know, his team put up a great fight against a monolithic team in Portugal. Um, and I think you know, perhaps he was he was milking the situation with Aruca and Vittoria a little bit. But nonetheless, um, I think he was he was on the money really, and that you know his his team can only do so much when when there's such a gulf in resources between teams of these sizes. No, it it, it was it was really interesting to hear. Um, I think it's it's quite nice to see that from a in, like a newly promoted manager, sort of not afraid to to speak his mind and speak so clearly. Um, and I think you you know he. Like like I mentioned previously, he he certainly set the team in the right way. Um, you know they 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 played the right game plan to, that you've got to do when you come up against Benfica. Um, maybe a couple more players to highlight for me. Are, but Leo Jabba got his uh, first start. Uh, then the, sort of probably their biggest summer signing. Um, he did okay. This sort of looks a little off the pace. He, he'll need more time. And there's uh, and Ronald, Ronaldo Tavares, the Portuguese striker up top. Wearing number nine, I think he looks he looks like a, a, a decent player, you know. And they've they've got you know they had I think what I've liked as well is that they've mainly continued the same eleven that played so much of last year, and uh, you know the the sort of the likes of um, Pedro Sard didn't get onto um, later and and other players as well. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, I think they can be really proud of themselves in this performance. I think that you know this is it, it was. They were nowhere near blown away, but by any stretch of the imagination, you know they were very much in this game for as long as they they could, you know, and and they they deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah, it's two very competitive performances now from Estrella. Obviously, unfortunately, resulting in two losses. So for them, it's going to be all about can they convert these promises performances, promising performances into points onto the table at the earliest opportunity. Um, let's move on, Bonnie. Let's talk about Porto, who. Uh, Beat Ferenc 2-1 at the weekend and another performance, in my opinion, which left a little bit to be desired. 
But nonetheless, another important win uh, in a game which looked like it was going to cause them a lot of problems. It was a 100th minute winner from old father time himself, Ivan Marcano, after Ferenc had pushed them really close with the game at 1-1. Very spirited performance from Ferenc. They really did themselves proud. But this was a big three points for a Porto team that never gave up. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, can we, let's, can we just talk about Meccano for a little bit? Because it, it's <laughs> something just doesn't seem right. I, when we when we when we first started this podcast, was it three years ago? He was, I think, he had quite a long term injury, and and I didn't, we didn't, I didn't know much about him at, at the time, and he just he obviously never paid for them, and then suddenly he's just sort of come back in more and more, keep scoring winners, um, and he just seems like an anomaly of it, like this, like it's. Because I'll read you some stats that I've unearthed of, of him for this season. So he's in the top twenty for touches in the opponent's penalty box, and he's the only <laughs> he's the only defender in that twenty. The rest are strikers, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's got also he's got the fourth. I mean, this is not so much an injury. He's got the fourth most progressive passes, but which you would sort of expect from like a, a midfielder. But obviously, defenders a progressive path is usually going forward. So, but, but still, each I just don't. I don't understand why he's so good. <laughs> he just like Pepe. I get it. You know, he paid, he was at Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah, and a legendary player. But Meccano just is just get just seems to be yeah. It, and what a player to have. And and it's he, these goals are vital. You know, mm. they did need this winner to just completely seal things, set make them comfortable. Mm. And 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 these are the you know these are the games where and these are the goals that win your championships because they, they make they make that a bit of difference. And he's just I just yeah, it I just don't understand Albert why why is he so good? He defies logic, doesn't he? He's he's a thirty eight year old defender who plays like, you know, a twenty one year old new school defender who plays out plays out from the back and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, made his two hundred and fiftieth appearance for Porto at the weekend. Very impressive. And this is the start that I love, Barney. A little fun fact for everyone out there. He's now the defender with the most goals for Porto, more than Alex Tellez, who was on penalties and free kicks and who's someone that we think scored loads of goals. Well, even Marcano scored more than him. So, you know, just a a player that defies logic and defies belief at times um, and pops up again, as I'm sure he has multiple times before, with uh, a really important winner. Um, Barnum, we've got to come to the elephant in the room, though, which is, of course, uh, a player who was absent for this game and has confirmed his departure from Porto to Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia. Otavio leaves for his 60 million euro release clause, um, and he will play for Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and others. Um, He left a very, very emotional farewell video on his departure uh, in tears at the fact that he had to leave. He joined Porto as a a young player and leaves as um, their best player, a leader on the pitch, Sergio Constantel favourite, uh, a talisman for Porto, really. I mean, these are these are all kind of hyperbole, but um, I don't think I'm, I'm exaggerating, really, in terms of just how important he is to that team. It's a team which has seen players uh, over the years like Luis Diaz, Vettinia, Fabio, Fabio Vieira depart, and yet he has stayed. Um, I almost didn't believe that he would leave. You know, he recently signed a five-year deal. He's been linked with the likes of AC Milan, Inter Milan, turned those clubs down. Um, but he has finally left, and uh, it comes at you know I think a really really difficult time for uh, for Porto. 
uh, obviously it's a great uh, it's a great it's a great fee for them. Sixty million euros is a lot of money, but I think in terms of the impact that they're going to lose uh, on the pitch, I think it's pretty uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think it's something I've been trying to get my head around uh, over this past week. Is uh, as our listeners will know in in our preseason show, I I was putting a lot on Mediterranean's importance to this this Porto team, but I think I. And I, I sort of feel like this deal was, although obviously the, the release clause would pay, but I, I sort of feel like if Taremi had gone, Atavi might have stayed. If you know, if Tavi goes, Taremi's definitely going to stay now. And uh, yeah, I was trying to work out what's the better option. I still think maybe Taremi's vastly important, but I think Atavi is the one where it's not as obvious to see what he brings to this team. And I think it you know, over the few weeks we're really going to see what a loss he will be to Porto's midfield. I mean, one statistic that I saw which highlights already highlights the sort of difference it's making um, is in this game, Porto made two tackles in Ferenz's half the whole game. Last season, the average was they were averaging fourteen point three tackles in the opponent's half a game. You know that's a huge difference. And look, Nico Gonzalez came in. Uh, for his first start for Porto, looked good offensively. His long passing looked very good, you know, out to the wings, bringing to like of Galeno and Pepe and through. But he's a very different player, though, Barney, isn't he? A very different player. And, and like, you know, sort of running back to that point I was making there, we didn't see the defensive action. We didn't see the press. We didn't see the energy, the high energy up at the top end of the pitch. So, you know, it's. I think it's going to be one that's going to unfold in a potentially nasty way, Albert, as, as the weeks go by. We're, we're really going to see what a huge difference Tavia made to this Porto team and how good a player he, he really was. Yeah, I mean, this is why for me, this is this is um, a borderline mistake from Porto, although I, I, I do accept that 60 million euros for a club like Porto is probably impossible to turn down. That said, I think the impact that Otavio has on the pitch for Porto cannot be underestimated. He's not just a good player, he's a unique player. And he's a player that, that Porto and Sergio Conceição have, have built their team around in many ways for, for a long time. He's led by example on that pitch, as you say, in terms of the way they want to play, being combative and, and pressing in the uh, opponent's half. Uh, he's an incredibly creative player as well in terms of what he creates on the pitch. And, you know, I, I thought Nico Gonzalez was good, like you, but he's he's creating in a very different way. You know, Otavio was was attacking the box. He was playing on the wings and he was creating goals that way. You know, Galeno's not been amazing. Um, they've got other players who have not quite performed. So I think this is going to be a really, really damaging departure for Porto unless, and this is the big if, that money has to be reinvested because we're starting to see really big gaps in this Porto side, especially in defence. Uh, Left-back position really needs enforcing. They could do with an upgrade at centre-back in terms of... Um, Cardozo and, and David Carmo not being great. Uh, Alan Varela, great signing. I look forward to him playing. I think he will add some of that combativeness in midfield that that they're missing. Um, and maybe, you know, it's a blessing in disguise for, for players like Pepe, who will now be forced to play on the wings. Sergio Contestal will have his hand forced. He can no longer play about right back simply because uh, he has to play him on the wings now because they're, they're lacking a winger. So this this departure could really could really define Porto's season. And the next few weeks of the transfer window until it closes are going to be huge because we have to see them 
put some of this money back onto the field because if they don't, I think it's going to be a huge, huge loss for them. Well, it's interesting to hear you talk about the what areas they need to improve their Albert because, uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of them. But I, I was actually going to praise Porto's left-hand side in this game. You know, we've talked to, we've talked a lot about in preseason and last week about Porto's right-hand side, you know, with Jao Mario and Pepe. But I thought Zaido had a, a pretty good game, you know, and, and, and actually was... I thought quite dangerous in the final third, something we don't see too often, you know, put some dangerous balls in, managed to get in crushing opportunities. And Galeno as well. Galeno seems to be this one, Albert, who... I... Luis Diaz is so always so fresh in my memory when watching Galeno play, right? And and how how incredible Luis Diaz was. But Galeno is pretty good. He is pretty decent. Like, you know, he, he is a good winger. Um we just need to see. We obviously want to see more assists and goals and and etc. But I, I do think he's he's pretty decent. But yeah, I think I think the most interesting thing is like what you said there about how Pepe will now have to be that right hand side option unless they bring someone in. Although Gonzalo Borges came in and 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 seemed quite pretty deep, really good. Um, uh, he actually created from this twenty two minutes of playing, he created the most chances in Jornada two with, with with his five chances created. That's the most from any player of the weekend from just those 22 minutes he got on so that's a good sign they, they need players like that um to do that so yeah it's it's obviously a and, and for me the biggest thing of this game as well was Tony Masters coming back in to play up top with Teremi you know they you know, going with the two strikers that was needed Tony Martinez is doing what Tony Martinez does seems to take his chances you no know, undoubtedly get phased out of the team at some point but like you know what can he do he just keeps scoring when he can. Nice, nicely taken goal. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was obviously a, a good win. You know, we've talked about, but Atari leaving is huge for this club, huge for the team, and you know it would have been, and it all happened very quickly as well, didn't it? So you know they 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 dealt with it. They've got the points. They um, you know they didn't make things too hard for themselves. And uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's all right for Porto. The the last thing I'll say on this on this whole issue um is on Sergio Contessao um and I do fear for him and I wonder if he is closer now to leaving than perhaps he has been for a long time um and he's stuck with Porto through a lot uh he's seen his best players sold multiple multiple times um I wonder if Otavio is slightly different you know he's an older player he's not exactly a young asset. He was he was his leader. He was his talisman, and and he's been sold from underneath him. I wonder if it's one sale too far. We will have to see. And and like I said, the next few weeks will be really interesting to see if he can be appeased with with uh, with uh, action in the transfer market. But I think you know you talk about this being a good win for Porto, and so many times we've seen them do this, grind out important wins when they're struggling against difficult teams. And for me, that that mindset comes from the top down. It comes from Consasau. Um Otavio leaving is is a is a is a real is a real real loss. Sergio Consasau leaving Porto would be an absolute disaster. I'm not sure, and I sound, sound like ridiculous exaggeration. I'm not sure there's a manager in world football who could do as much as Sergio Consasau has done with this Porto team when it comes to working with the squad that he's got, getting the best out of those players and motivating them in the way that he has. So Porto, a really, really interesting team to keep an eye on for these last few weeks of the transfer window, especially with uh, big departures like Otavio. Uh, and lastly, Barney, we should, of course, 
uh, mentioned Ferenz, who uh, done pretty well in this game, almost got a really important draw, uh, a newly promoted side to go to a team in the Champions League and, and get a draw would have been fantastic. Um, of course, they were undone with that last minute winner. But uh, they scored a really good goal, a goal which I thought was emblematic of the way they tried to play. Um, their chance came from pressing Porto's defence. A little bit of magic from the the aptly named uh, Rui Costa, the striker, put the ball through Marcano's legs, then gets a little bit of luck with the deflection. Um, but it's a goal that I think I think they deserved. It was a goal which their performance warranted, definitely. Yeah, Rui Costa looks all right, actually, it's the start of the season. Um, and, and, yeah, you know, a game against Porto, you're only going to get one or two chances. And, he, you know, he got he got a goal from those two chances, so he did very well. I also wanted to highlight, well, obviously the keeper, Ricardo Velo, a 25-year-old Portuguese keeper, who, who seems to be keeping the starting spot as well. I sort of assumed Luis Felipe from Vizela would come in and, and get that starting spot, but he's, Velo's kept it and he's done very well in this game. He was made some excellent saves. Was of course under a lot of pressure, and finally, I would the perhaps the player I was most interested in in this game was a uh, right winger, Balumi, twenty-one year old Algerian uh, winger, who just seemed to uh, he worked very hard. I mentioned that left hand side of Porto, and he was he, you know he was putting all the work in, but he looks like he had a bit of something about him as well, you know, a bit of quality, um, and and that could be uh, he could be a, a, a big player for friends this season if they're looking for someone to to make things happen. So. Yeah, I like the look of him. Um, yeah, it was you know I wasn't sure what to expect from the friends team like this, but they seemed to, you know that this was a, a, a decent performance at Porto, wasn't it? You can't really ask for much more. Couldn't ask for much more, except maybe a, a point to send uh, send their fans home happy. Um, let's quickly do the next two games from the top four, starting with. Shabs uh, versus Braga, and just like Benfica, it was very important for Braga to bounce back from an opening day defeat uh, with a win against Shavs. They did that in a very entertaining game, which ended 4-2 in their favour. Uh, Shavs were 2-1 two, two, up at one point, but a red card for Nagera kind of changed the course of the game in Braga's favour, and they went on to take all three points. Up until that red card, though, it had been a very competitive game. I think it was 2-2 two, two at the time of the red. And unfortunately for Shavs, it was the second game in a row where a red card kind of changes the game for them. I thought it was a harsh red as well, but I think you know that that you know, especially seeing his Braga score from the resulting free kick, just to add insult to that uh, potentially uh, harsh decision. And as you mentioned, there's two two red cards in two games now for Shabs. You know, it's very hard for you know when you're in that position to to do anything. But they really gave Braga a game, and I was very impressed with them first half. Um, I wanted to highlight Jao Carreira, the right back, is playing for his his hundredth game for Shabs. Um, He's just a really. I really like watching. Him. He's a really good attacking right fullback. You know, he's he's not afraid to get forward. He works really well on that right hand side with Benny, who I'm I'm really starting to rate as a, a young Portuguese left footed right winger. He looked he looked decent as well. But you know, another unfortunate thing for Shabs as well, Jao Correa actually got injured for Braga's equaliser to make two two. You can see it on the highlights. He he can't run. He, he he's just limping back and and he couldn't get back to cover Bruma who who got that goal. So they were, yeah, they were, they were doing all right. You know, Hector Hernandez, two top quality headers. You know, seems to be quite blessed with Spanish strikers in the, in the league at the moment. Um, you know, and and I think you know they deserve to be in that winning position. And and it just, yeah, it just things just changed. And then, and and Braga got themselves back in the game, and they got the results. You know, we we did see. 
Braga strength and depth, didn't we? You know, the bands are coming on, getting a goal. Pitsy coming on, getting a goal. Um, you know, they're, they're, this is what they... I think we did see a bit of fatigue from the Champions League games in this game, a little bit. But when you've got those players to bring on, that's that's exactly what they're there for. So, yeah, Braga will be very happy with the, the three points in this game. Yeah, and it's not just strength and depth for Braga either. It's, it's that we're seeing the goals spread around the team. You know, as you said, opening goal from Bruma. Then the captain, Ricardo Horta, pops up with a banger to make it 2-2. Then it's the late goals from Banza and Pizzi who kind of stick, stick the nails in the coffin. Um, it was something we were used to last year and, and it's something that is a real asset to the team. You know, the fact that goals can come from anywhere because, you know, when a team relies too heavily on one goal scorer and that goal scorer maybe gets injured or is unavailable, uh, that can really put a spanner in the works. But, you know, Braga looked like a very, very competent team with, uh, you know, a very balanced team, good strength in depth. So, yeah, important for them, like I said, to bounce back from that win against Family Cow and, and, and really get their season get their season moving in, in the right way. Um, let's talk about Sporting then, Barney. Obviously, a good win for them. Just like against uh, Vizela, uh, it wasn't a perfect win, but they got a 2-1 win away at Kazapia. Um, Most important thing to get the win over the line, despite, as I said, having some difficulties. Um, interesting for me, Barney, two goals coming from Paulinho. You know, we've talked so much about Jokeres being the goal threat. Well, it was the old man up top, the veteran Paulinho in this game who who who, who took the headlines. I think what's very obvious is the pressure when the pressure's off Paulinho, that really helps him, right? He, he's 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 last season was a bit of a rough ride for him, you know, so much put on him, obviously a, a huge transfer fee when he did move to sporting from Braga, about twenty million euros. Um a lot of expectation, goals weren't coming, and and it's just it all builds and I think Yoko is coming helps him not just mentally uh, in terms of the pressure, but on the pitch as well. You know, he can he can find different spaces. He can, he can move about a bit more freer. Yokerez is the one sort of playing off the last man. That the kind of I think Paulinho's instinct sometimes is to play. You know, drop a bit, find different gaps of space. Um, the first goal was offside, <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, should, should we deal with that now, Barney? Yeah. So for anybody who's not um, who's not seen what happened, uh, Sporting scored a first goal. Uh, well, sorry, Sporting scored two goals in the game, and then after the game, we get news from the kind of referee board or whatever it is after the game that the first goal was offside and should have been ruled out for nine centimeters offside, and VAR just never communicated this to the referee. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but basically there was a massive fuck up and the first goal should never have stood, which is, I mean, at the time I was, I was really angry. Maybe we need to take a step back and say, okay, even with VAR, this type of mistake, if it happens maybe once a season out of the thousands of decisions that these people have to make as a percentage of a kind of error rate, that seems logical. It can happen. You know, it doesn't happen very often. I think we saw it happen in the Premier League last season as well, once or twice. But honestly, I mean, this league has an issue with professionalism and that just does terrible things for its reputation. Can I just say, because it was like, was it the second minute, the third minute? I think it was the second minute this goal went in. 
it honestly wouldn't surprise me if these guys weren't sitting down at the desk. <laughs> like, a cup of just tea. getting settled. Like sorting out there, <laughs> putting their cups of coffee down or something like that. <laughs> honestly, man, I can so see that happening. I I I was pretty outraged, but mm. do you know what was really refreshing? Seeing Felipe Martin's reaction after the game. What a gent. What a pro. You know, I'll quote what he said because it was, you know, he said there was a technical error already assumed by those responsible for the arbitration. It should not have happened, but it did. I never talk about refereeing. I'm not going to do it now. Let's talk about what matters, which is the game. He also then went on to talk about um, a sporting fan who got taken ill in, in, in the yeah. in the state. Like, what Real a breath of fresh air. Like, yeah, so nice. Um, and... Yeah, most other managers would have just gone off it. Like, you know, mm. imagine if it was the other way around, perhaps. You know, who knows what could happen? So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's another glaringly obvious um, poor form from the the refereeing standards in, in this league. But I think it's the right way to go about it is the Felipe Martins route, and just you know, let's get on with it and talk about the game. Um, yeah, I mean. Fair play to them. It's not like they're going to be able to replay the game anyway, so very little is going to be achieved by by bringing it up. My only, my only perhaps controversial opinion about this is that it's worth noting that it was a nine centimetre offside. Um, I've said it before, I do have an issue with VAR given these kind of really, really small centimetre offsides. I have my doubts about whether the technology can 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 prove those offsides down to that um, degree and and and, you know, whether even a, 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 a striker having his foot nine centimeters uh, further than a, a head than a defender's shoulder really constitutes an, an unfair advantage, which is what offside was brought in to to take away. But all of that is irrelevant because we have the rules that we have at the moment dictate that that goal should have been disallowed. The same if the same thing happens in other games throughout this season, the goal will be disallowed. So uh, in that sense, Kazapir have been uh, really let down. I think, which is which is. Really frustrating, and I think you know if this um, if this had been the other way around and Sporting had, had lost the game and the goal had been wrongfully allowed, I think we'd be seeing a, a lot more headlines and a lot more uproar. Yes, yeah, certainly. And, and look, Casapier had a had their moments in this game as well. They they you know they, they if that goal hadn't counted, you know the game could have panned out very differently. Um, I think uh, Casapier's goal from Clayton really highlighted Sporting's weakness in defence. You know, Quate's pace on the turn uh, to catch up with Clayton Adnan as well just wasn't quite close enough I think potentially could have done better and it was a very very tidy finish from Clayton and a great runner and look I think one thing that I really struggle with Albert at, at this time of the season is if like a striker scores like in two games in a row and I get I then get very excited and think they're going to have the they're going to be top goal scorer I think I've done that a few times, <laughs> even the in Diego Cariello effect. Yes, very much so. <laughs> Diego Cariello effect. But look, with Clayton, that's been it's a bit different for me because that's been brewing from the end of last season, and he looks like a great striker. And Casapia with their the, the formation they play is sort of three four three or or the or the five two three, if you will, with Savio Godwin and Yuki Som on the other side. Clayton's, I think Clayton is going to get a lot of goals this season. And they seem even they seem a bit stronger if, if anything in that in those attacking areas. Um, so I think he's a he's a striker to keep an eye on because he looks like he's got he's got it he's got something about him. And I, and like I said, I really like his pace for this goal and, and the way he took it. It was a really smart finish. I could not agree with that more. I think he's an interesting one because he he only got a couple of goals towards the end of last season. Um, 
but he looks set this season to have a, a good season. Like you say, it depends on your definition of a lot of goals. But I think what we've seen so many times is that for these strikers outside of the top four, playing in smaller teams, you know, a return of 10 to 15 goals for a season is, is very respectable. I think he's definitely on track for that to this season. is already fantastic. Good strength, physicality. You know, he wasn't bullied by by Croatia. He, he knew to sit on Inacio and, and use that as his kind of... He bullied Inacio, really, uh, and he got his goals as a result. So he did really well. Um, I do just want to... Apologies. I do just want to come back on on Paulinho and Jokerez, um before we got sidetracked by the VAR thing. Um, my take on, on Paulinho and, and Jokerez is that, for me, Paulinho seems much more comfortable in the strike partnership than Jokerez does. I think Paulinho is is naturally more comfortable linking up with players. Um, and in fact, I sensed a little bit of selfishness creeping into to Jokerez's game at times, times when he didn't make the right decision to, to release the ball, times when he would try and overplay, try and do something a little bit special to dribble into the box and get a shot off, which, I mean, I can't blame him. He did it with success twice against Vizela. So why not try it again? Um and after the game, I, I stuck around to watch Paulinho's post-match interview. And I think what struck me from that was he was he's a very calm and a very selfless player who, who genu- genuinely isn't threatened by another striker. And I think that's really important. Whereas, you know, a lot of people would see, you know, if you're a striker and they brought in another striker, that's competition. You might take it on the chin. You might see it as healthy competition. But nonetheless, you see it as competition. I don't think Paulinho sees this as competition at all. Um, I think Paulino could really thrive actually in this partnership because now he's got a striker alongside him who's going to be busting a gut to get in the box and and be the target man and 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 lead the line. Whereas Paulino, we know, likes to drop off a bit. He likes to get involved in the play. And I think having he doesn't have that burden now of being the all round striker, which he's not really. He's not the guy who's going to lead the line. He's not a poacher, is he? He, there's more to his game than that, and I think this partnership with Jokerez will allow him to um, to play the game that he really wants to play, which I think involves more more link up, involves being more involved in the build up. Um, and I'm not surprised that that he was the one to get the goals in this game because I think you know it's a cliche, but I think there's a weight off his shoulders. Are you saying everyone should have put Paulinho in their fantasy team over Jokerez? <laughs> well, I, like, I, I, I didn't, so I can't. Uh, <laughs> Can't no, I think that. that's I think that's an excellent point, mate, and I think that 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 balance will be really interesting. But in terms of what Sporting want as a team, they just want goals, right? They want the striker scoring goals, and if both of those players can be doing that, if it's one for one game, one or the other, whatever, they're, they're going to be happy. And I think that you know we can see an improvement in that attacking line. Um, Hulmund, uh, the new uh, midfielder they've signed from the Lech uh, in Italy came on for this game as well. Obviously didn't get the start, but he'll be slowly integrated into the team. I'm looking forward to see how he fits. And and suddenly you realise there's a lot, of, a lot of options. We've been talking about Benfica, we've been talking about Braga as well, having options and what combination of players. Almiron really needs to have the, the, the same issues now. You know, there's, there seems to be a lot of quality in the attacking positions and those two central midfield positions, which felt has felt pretty light in previous previous seasons. So that, that's a good improvement. And look, and and just to sort of flip it back to Caspi as well, in terms of their recruitment, I really like the signing of uh, Larraza Ball, the Spanish right wing back, because um, Leonardo Lelo caught all the headlines last year, an excellent left wing back. Um, everybody talks about him. Their right back position has been a, one that they struggle with. I think they've even they were even playing left backs at the right back 
uh, last season at some point. So Lorazabal has come in and, and shown a good bit of quality and, and that's that's sort of the only real area I would have said needed really looking at and they've they've addressed it. And um, yeah, I, I've, we've, I've said it before, I think Casabir could could have a good, a good season this, this year as well. Hmm, definitely, definitely. Uh, look out for Casabir. All right, let's quickly, Barney, try and get through a few more games from a little bit outside of the top four. Um, and I want to talk about possibly the league's most informed team. Um, and that is, of course, Boa Vista. Uh, I think the question on everybody's lips was whether Boa Vista's surprise win over Benfica was just a flash in the pan or the sign of things to come. Well, they backed it up with a comprehensive 4-1 win over Portimonens in Portimao. Uh, Portimonens have now conceded nine goals in their first two games of the season. And it's not exactly against the league's best sides in Bovista and Gil Vicente. Um, both of these teams in this game were teams that I predicted to struggle at the beginning of the season. But I got one very wrong because both of these teams are going in very different directions by the looks of things. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I'll, too, I'll start on the negative actually, and then we can move move it to the, the positive. But Portis and Menendez are just, they look dread, absolute shambles at the back. Really, really disappointing. I think... Um, Felipe Rojas had a, a nightmare game, and to be honest, Albert, you know, there's been a. I hyped him up last year. He was my tip to be sort of the, the player to watch. The, 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 there has been some transfer rumors, and I thought rightly so last year. I for me, he just looks like a player who's just not interested anymore. Doesn't you know? Just what wanted wants that move. You know, he, he just. And I don't really blame him because he's in a he's in a stinker of a team like that. That backline is is all sort of bits and bobs. You've got Sec playing in the back three. Um, just yeah, it's so. I mean, and I mentioned last week Sylvester the keeper. I thought he was a bit flappy as well in this game. They were just playing so high, and then they weren't keeping a straight line. You know, playing allowing players to to run through. It was just really diabolical stuff and. Yeah, the, uh, all they seem to have was Ronnie Carrillo, the new their new striker, who's just they, who got the goal in this game. That was their, their only goal, but just getting it up to him and tr- hoping for the best. That was just yeah, it was. They just look really, really <laughs> bad. <laughs> There's a serious lack of quality in the starting eleven. I think I would I would challenge anyone listening to this to go and look at the starting eleven of this Porto Menendez team and see if there's any players that they've heard of. And I guarantee you will struggle. I mean, most of these teams, I know not everyone follows smaller teams, but people can watch a Boa Vista game or a Gilles Vicente game and they'll pick out players that they've seen play, even if it's against their team, and say, oh yeah, I remember him. You look at this Porto Menendez 11, there is a serious, serious lack of quality in that 11. Um, you know, Real Bass, the centre-back, like you said, the one player that has proven his quality before, well, he scored an own goal in this game and was really poor. And you know he, his his reputation is taking a really big hit at the moment playing in this team. Um, and the one other great player they had last season in Kosuke Nakamura, the goalkeeper, is sitting on the bench, which really beggars belief. So real problems for Portimonense at the moment. Um, it was men and versus boys out there, one team full of confidence, uh, motivated, going into a game believing they will win, and another team completely shot for confidence with two games of the season gone. Really, really worrying signs. Um, credit to Boa Vista, though. They played a very, very dominant game. They were 3-0 up at halftime. They knew this game was there for the taking, and they took it. Um, you know, one thing that we said and, and, and have clearly got wrong was that they might struggle with a lack of signings. But they don't need new signings because Bozhenik stepped up. 
to be the main man up front. I've called him the new Musa, and I think he's living up to that. And you've got players like Thiago Moraes, man of the match in this game, a young winger on loan at Les Choice last season in the lower divisions. Comes in, looks like he's not out of place in the first team, looks like he's never been away. Uh, they've kept good players, you know, Pedro Meliero, uh, the right back, who scored a few worldies in his time. Bruno Onyamicha, the left back, player of real quality. Gaius Makuta, player that we like very much, still in that 11. Salvador Agra, again, you know, might not be the world's best player, but a very useful Premier League player, still there. They've got a manager in Petit with great experience. And I really, really am going to have to eat my words with this team because they look very, very solid. And, and if they keep this going, they're in for, at the very least, a more than comfortable season. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about Thiago Morial because, you know, we saw a glimpse of him last week. We saw a lot more in, in this game. Just just looks like one of these players, you know, who who will have a breakthrough season and, you know, someone might take a gamble on him, one of the big threes. They just look so so quick, so, um, you know, he was always making those runs in behind. And actually, do you know what? the They seem to be in a stronger position defensively than they were last year, and that's with the return of Oaziem, who seems to go out on loan to France every year, and then the move never made permanent. <laughs> I think he he will go if if the right offer comes in. Uh, you know, I think that you know that's very much gonna. Have, I think that will happen. But while they've got him, why not use him? And he's playing really well in the defense. And then also Felipe Ferreira, sort of the veteran left back who's been now been put into centre back, and his passing from deep. You know that was where one of the goals came from. Just a ball in behind. That bit of you know that quality on the ball and, and it, it, just so invaluable, and it just allows players like Onyemichi and Maliero to get forward and Mariah as well. Um, do you know what on Bilznik, Albert? And this is just me being a bit of an XG nerd. He, they are creating a lot, Bovista. They, they they're making a lot of chances. You know, obviously the Portland's game was a pretty easy one, and they were going to put in a lot of chances. I think he could be getting more, and 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 that's something I don't want to see happen as the season progresses. Right? Is is that you know, when when games get that little bit harder and you're getting less chances, that's where we might see Bosnick. You know, if 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 he's got if he's got enough about him, if he's got the quality, he'll be he'll be finishing those. But that's the one area where I'm a little bit concerned that could play out later down the season if 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 he if he can maintain this form and make sure he takes those chances when he gets them. Um, but look, I'm trying to find negatives, Albert, because you know at the moment they look like it could be uh, breaking into the top three. <laughs> hmm. They could be winning the league again for the second time. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, all right. Well, another team who got a big win at the weekend was uh, Vittoria, who got a two-one win at home against Gil Vicente. Uh, they managed a one-nil win on the opening day of the season against Estrella. Uh, but that was a game which showed perhaps they needed to improve. A game against Gilles Vicente, who were off the back of a 5-0 win, was going to be a tough challenge, but they rose to it, coming from behind to win 2-1 and gave themselves a real boost. It was a very good game with two teams playing good football, a good spectacle for the neutral uh, and an important win for Vittoria. Can I, I, couldn't, I couldn't find the confirmation this anywhere, but has Thiago Silva scored directly from a corner previously? It feels like he has. <laughs> well, this is an interesting thing. So Thiago Silva scores directly from a free kick in this game. On the, uh, from on a the corner. Watch along, for, excuse me, from a corner. On the watch along last night, we were chatting with, with Matt, one half of the uh, Pretoria supporting Milbank's brothers, who said he tried the same thing earlier in the same game. So this is a guy who's got form. Ah, <laughs> oh, big respect for that. And look, I... I, I I think he's always going to be a key, a, a key player for them. Um, you know, obviously an important goal. Um, 
Nelson Deleuze seems to be someone who just regularly will just come off the bench and get a goal and someone you think should be I don't know like 18, 19 but is that bit older but um, <laughs> look I think the the thing for me was I, I wanted to talk a little bit about their, their new manager who they've just confirmed in, in, in Paolo Tura um, it, he wasn't there for this game but he's, he's, he's been announced since um, Big Phil Scolari's boy yeah <laughs> well look I've, the, the thing I've sort of dug up on him is you know he's he's he had a good good stint in brazil um not so good with santos the club he was previously but he had a with a let's go pr who he, he got them promoted and had a good run in the cup he had an average of 2.28 points per game which isn't bad but the the, the thing will be is which i find most interesting is that he plays a, a 4 2 3 one formation generally and so i expect that's coming to pace and especially considering the loss of the at the back in terms of bamba and amaro you know that i think that that shift to a, a four at the back will have to come in which will look quite strange having seen Moreno's Vittoria for so long now and seeing too used to that. But going back to Thiago Silva, that's a player who could benefit, you know, potentially playing in that number 10 role. You know, we could really see the best in him. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, it's obviously good for Vittoria to get a win managerless and, and, and you know, sort of show that they, they you know, they, they can they could compete. And because like you said, you've had a very good start to the season and, and, and they look pretty dangerous. So this, this was a tough game. And so, yeah, really good for Victoria to come away with three points. A tough game and a good win and two naughty goals. As you said, Thiago Silva scoring from, from the, from the corner kick was, was unreal. And then, uh, Nelson Deleuze with, with the long shot from distance to win it, coming at the perfect time, 10 minutes of the game to go, really good performance and, and, and a tough game. Gilles played well though. Obviously, they took took the lead, went one 0 up. A good test for them this game. Um, ultimately, ultimately second best on the day. Obviously, not far behind Victoria. I have to say, perhaps they could have got a draw from the game, um, but they played their part and, and they did well. And I think you know they will they will improve uh, in 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 other games. Yeah, I thought Rocco uh, Batterino took his goal well. Um, I think he's very much going to be their their big striker, their main man up top. Um, obviously, it wasn't didn't seem quite match fit. And and I just wanted to shout out Maxime Dominguez as well. It just looks, you know, he was a lot of their signings were younger players, but he sort of came from Poland, twenty twenty seven, twenty eight years old. But he looks, he's got a bit of, real bit of quality to him, so, and, and particularly playing on that right hand side, some real nice touches. So yeah, he's uh, he really impressed me. And Buta again, just a really solid at left back, got forward. Um, yeah, I, I I like that. I love that sort of signing. It just yeah, mm. everything about that I like. Um, all right, let's do one last game very quickly, Barney, before we run out of time. And that is uh, Estoril versus Rio Ave. Estoril, obviously part of last weekend's dramatic seven-goal thriller against Aruka, which they unfortunately were on the losing end of. Um, but they turned a good performance into three points this weekend, beating Rio Ave 2-0 at home. Goals from, can you believe it, Elia Kim Mangala and Alejandro Marquez gave them three points and kicked off their season. Really important for me, Barney, for Mangala to score. And not only that, but have a good game. Because I think a lot of people, including myself, questioned that signing. You know, he hadn't played football in a year. We obviously know he's played at a very high level. Um, but I think it was a risk bringing him in. Um, but he looked right at home out there. He looked really good. He looked like he'd been playing, you know, playing at a high level for for the last few years. And, and, and uh, you know, showed great leadership. Um, and I think if he could stay fit, they picked up a really good player and, and probably on a bit of a bargain as well. Yeah, it, it, this could be a real smart bit of business. And, you know, 
We're talking about a veteran left-footed centre-back getting, getting goals. It feels to be <laughs> a bit of a theme. Um, yeah, and, and the thing I'm going to struggle with all season, Albert, is um, the, the, the two Marqueses for Estoril. Uh, You've got, obviously, it's Jao Marquez who was playing most of the game, number 33, mm-hmm. really nice, exciting, sort of nippy winger. Yeah. And uh, uh, to, and he, he got the assist as well. Um, and Alejandro Marquez, the, is he Venezuelan striker? Venezuelan from Juventus? striker, yeah. Yeah. But the, the both Venezuelan of them are good. Paulinho. Lovely, like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but look, I think, obviously, both of them are good starts of the season. But, um, Jao Marquez in particular looks really good, really, like you know, and I'm really enjoying this. You know, there's there's a couple of these Portuguese players who who didn't get much game time last season, but it seems to be taking yeah taking their opportunity and, and and running with it. So yeah, he looks really really good. And can I just finally shout out Jordan Holsgrove, right? Because there's only one player who's completed more progressive passes than him this season. That's a uh, Koshu uh, for Benfica. So I'm I'm going to put him in that up in that bracket. Out, he's, you know, I think it, for some reason it, at the moment I saw you sign for Estro, I just thought this was going to really work out, and and it seems to so far. He's looking really good. Could push on. Um, yeah, really happy for him. Yeah, um, and and Marquez that you mentioned, Alejandro, uh, the striker is a player that I like. Um, good technique, good left foot, got a nice little tap in, but that's his second goal of the season. I think he's only played something like. 45 minutes of football you know he's come on as a sub both times but I think he's a striker that uh, could have a bit of joy for Estoril this season and, and just lastly on Rio Avbani I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit in this game they weren't they weren't super competitive they conceded one goal from a set piece and then they conceded the second goal late on in the game and it's a defensive error that kind of gifts Estoril a chance really obviously they had that good opening day win but that was against 10 men of Shavs, they're going to want to bounce back from this because they haven't been all that convincing in in the first two games of the season. No, I mean there's promising signs. I think um, Luis Frio does try to play good attacking football. You know, you will see the full the fullbacks get a lot of the ball up high up the pitch. You know, he does put his teams out there. Um, it's just I think it's, it's the attacking areas which I think really look. Like they're lacking and missing something, you know, and and obviously with their transfer ban, I don't know how they're going to fit, fix or address that. So, yeah, it's um, it's uh, it'd be maybe for us to change these tactics because you know if you haven't got the players to do it, then you know why why are you doing it? So, yeah, they they I'm still sort of trying to work them out because they're you know it's uh it's been slightly confusing. Well, as yeah. I reminded everybody at the end of the last episode. Worth remembering, it is early days, so an awful lot could change and we need to keep a close eye on the Premier League, as we do every weekend in the coming weeks. Well, look, that brings us to the end of this episode. We got through an awful lot, so thank you for listening all the way through, if you've got this far. But as everyone knows, we like to end each episode with a little recommendation for some football that you could watch this weekend, and not just games from the big three, but all around the league. So, Barney, I'll come to you in a second. But I'm just going to offer up a couple of games that I think could be really interesting to watch uh, this weekend. And for me, they're both on Sunday. So if, like me, you often spend the Sunday at home relaxing. Usually I play football in the morning and I come home and I watch some football uh, in the afternoon. I think there's a lovely double header on Sunday that you could tune into, starting with 3.30pm. Boa Vista versus Casapia. 
I think we ha- all have to watch Boa Vista's third game of the season because, listen, maybe the Benfica game was a fluke. Maybe Porto Menenza are just dreadful, but this is going to be another test. So if Boa Vista can put on another fantastic performance, we'll know that this team really could be the real deal this season. And then you can follow that up with a lovely game, 6pm, Vittoria versus Vizela. That's at the Estadio Dom Afonso Enriquez. So two good games on a Sunday that I think people could watch. Barney. That's, that's what I'll be doing there on Sunday. I can't look any further than that Boa Vista um, Casapia game. That would say it would be a great little matchup. Um, maybe Australia Estrel could be a, a nice game, but yeah, uh, on the Friday after, uh, Friday evening. But um, no, but yeah, Boa Vista certainly seems to be the team to be watching if you want goals at the moment. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode uh, of the Longball Football Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, you could consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a star rating on Spotify. Uh, you could share the podcast with a friend that you think might enjoy it and help grow our audience a little bit more. And if you really enjoyed the show, as I mentioned at the beginning, consider checking us out on Patreon where you can become a Longball Football Socio for just £1 uh, a month. But I'd like just leave you to say thank you very much for listening and see you next week. Thanks for this week.